Awesome. It is cool to see the tangible way that we, as a community, are living for the good. My name's Brian, and I get to hear that, get to be the lead pastor here at Anchor. And I'm excited to be with you this morning as we continue our generous teaching series. Last week, I was at our Lincoln congregation. John spoke here. It's fun to be with him over here, but I'm, I'm glad to be back. Don't tell Lincoln. I'm, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be back. Uh, Hey, so the idea for this generous series, uh, really the principle goes back to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. I think John kind of elucidated that, shared that with you uh, last week. And the principle, the thing that's happening in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about what it means to be generous. You see, the Corinthians had come to follow Jesus and were sorting out what it looked like to be followers of Jesus. But then while they were figuring out what it looked like to be followers of Jesus, and as Paul was leading them, counseling them, pastoring them in that way, something happened in the city of Jerusalem. There was a great famine in the area in the city of Jerusalem and Christ followers in Jerusalem were suffering. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 tells these Jesus followers in Corinth that they should pony up, get some money together and give towards the people that are suffering in Jerusalem so that they don't have to suffer anymore. But the reason he gives for it is important because if you've listened to the radio, if you've watched TV, you're very used to uh, pledge drives and calls for giving. What Paul does is very significant. It's unique to Jesus' followers. He says, the way to become generous, in summation here, the way to become generous is not by looking deep within yourselves and finding some modicum of mercy and and giving out of that self kind of like developed discipline of mercy. Paul says something different. Paul says the way to become generous is to not look deep within yourself, but to steadily look at the one who alone is generous, who is God. And as we look at the generosity of God and understand that he is generous because what he so loved the world that he, what he gave, he gave his one and only son so that anyone that believes in him should have eternal life. When we understand the generosity of God seen in the face of Jesus, we in turn become generous. It works like that. Sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly, but it always works like that if we are focusing on the one who alone is generous. So we're taking this principle found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 and orienting it towards kind of the three core areas of our life with regards to resources. Time, we talked about last week. Treasure, we're talking about next week. And talent, we're talking about today. See that alliteration? Are you proud? (laughs) I didn't didn't develop it. I got to own that. So we're talking about talent today. First time I ever spoke in front of a congregation was about 20 years ago. I, I didn't know how to do it. Uh, I was a new Jesus follower. Uh, It wasn't, honestly, if I was to be honest, that familiar with scripture, but the church I was going to, which was in a suburb of Ellensburg, you heard me right, a suburb of Ellensburg, 
the pastor at this church said, hey, we, we need to have a youth Sunday. And I think I was the closest thing to youth. And so he said, you should speak at the youth Sunday. Maybe some youth will come. Classic way to tell you're not very connected with young people is just refer to them as youth. Um, so, so anyways, I was the youth speaking at Youth Sunday and I didn't have much experience with teaching at all and didn't have that much familiarity with the Bible. I knew I loved Jesus and the pastor knew that. So he said, you're up, Halfordy. And I said, what do, you, what do I do? He said, well, you pick a passage from scripture, you pray and then you prepare. And I said, well, that sounds easy. Still don't know what to do. He said, you'll figure it out. So I opened up to a book that I probably couldn't pronounce. Uh, now I can, fortunately, years later in some graduate level training, Colossians. Um, and I opened to chapter two and I read this passage of scripture uh, that was powerful for me there. Um, and I read Paul saying, be untied in love. Be untied in love. Oh, powerful. Great work, Paul. Genius. Be untied in love. Be free. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Be untied in love. Wave to the person that's far away. It doesn't even matter if you don't know them. Wave to them. Be generous with your words. Be untied and free. Don't be all knotted up with your love. Be untied with your love. This verse that Paul wrote was compelling to me. So I wrote a whole sermon on what it meant to be untied in love. And the Youth Sunday came up and I spoke because I was the youth speaking at the Youth Sunday. Turns out his ploy worked. The pastor's ploy worked. There was a congregation full of really my friends because I invited them. And so it was a Youth Sunday. They were there and the rest of the congregation was there as well. And I gave this teaching on what it meant to be untied in love. And I saw people moved, moved. People were opening their Bibles and flipping through and talking with each other. And I know I was striking a chord. I could tell. And I, I think I saw a couple people in the back, their eyes glassing over. I, and it wasn't that they were nodding off, that they were nodding and failing it on an emotional level. Things were clicking. I could see my destiny was written. I was going to be a teacher, a preacher. It was going to happen. And uh, later in the day, my friend, my roommate, said, Brian, Hey, what translation were you using today? And I, of course, knew that something had happened in his heart. And as a future pastor that I now knew my path was set towards that, I said, well, if there's something that struck you, we can talk about it. would love to kind of help unpack what might be going on in your heart. He said, there might be something going on in your heart after you read it again. Why don't you do that? And then we'll talk. And so I went into my room and I opened my Bible and I read the passage that I had read every time in preparation and it said, be united in love. <laughs> and I said, what's the big deal? United in love. And then I realized that's not the word I had read before. I looked to my other Bible and it said, be united in love. And I was like, well, how did I read it before being untied? Surely there was a misprint. No, there was more a problem with my reading. So I had written this sermon on what it meant to be untied in love when, when here's what untied means. Here's what united means. I had preached a sermon on the exact opposite of what the verse meant. All of a sudden, the people crying in the back row made sense. 
I called the, the preacher. I said, hey, I think I made, he goes, we, we know. We all just let it. We were just kind of said, should we call him now? Let's keep going. Why am I sharing this story? It's because I, I think it was a little unwise if, I was to, if I'm to be honest of that pastor who I love and respect to give me the pulpit. It was kind of like giving a toddler a nail gun and say, go build a house. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm like, bing, 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 you know. Uh, but there's something there that I think is actually quite beautiful. He, he understood that the church community is not a place for the perfect to perform, but a community where your gifts can be developed. I want to I say that in because this is very important, Anchor. This needs to be true of us. This is not a place where the perfect perform. It's a community where your gifts can be developed. Obviously, there needs to be pathways and preparation and time spent and intentionality. But if we put a ceiling on your giftedness that God doesn't put a ceiling on, then we are actually standing in the way of what God is wanting to do. We don't want to do that. In fact, this is one of the major questions we ask at Anchor is how can we help people find their way to grow in the giftings God has given them? And so to this end, like next year in September, we're starting this internship. We're trying to build out this infrastructure, intentionality, and, and, and have some real wins for the person stepping into it because we want this place to be a place where your gifts can develop. The word talent, it it means special, natural ability, aptitude, gift committed to the one for use and improvement. And as Jesus followers, we know that, that the word talent might reflect natural ability, but, but as Jesus followers, we're given spiritual gifts, things that the Holy Spirit gives us that are for his glory and for service to others. This is something that no one is excused from and everyone is included in if you are a Jesus follower, this idea that we are gifted. I love the etymology of the word talent. Um, in our pre-gathering prayer, we're all praying together and I was giving a, I was saying, you know, I, I mentioned the word etymology and they're like, I think I had that for sushi one time. And I was, no, it means the root of a word. Um, but the, the etymology of the word talent, it, it, it means weightiness. Don't you love that? Some of you are like, I've been trying to shed my weightiness. But this is, this is what it means, is that you carry this weightiness you carry this weightiness of God's deposit within you. Don't let the person who shamed you or said there's not a space for you be the one who defines your pathway forward into the future. God has given every one of you spiritual gifts. And one of the main things here at Anchor we want to do is to find that weightiness that God has placed within you and fan the flames on it and create a pathway for it so that you can grow in the area, not where you're not gifted, but the area where you are gifted. So to this end, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture in 1 Peter chapters 4 
verses 10 and 11. And uh, this is probably one of my favorite books in the New Testament. I don't know if, I, if you're supposed to have favorites, you know, with the Bible, um, but, but it is. Uh, and uh, in fact, we're going to be doing a teaching series on this whole book in January. So this might be familiar if around March, you know, we'll be getting, you know, so just try to remember this and you can compare this one to that one. But 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 to 11, a little bit of context Peter is writing to this, these, this group of small house churches in what is now modern-day Turkey. This is about 2,000 years ago. Uh, Peter is writing to this group of house churches in modern-day Turkey, and they're all suffering some type of external opposition by the Roman government, by the Roman Empire. There's, there's this pressure of social ostracization, not outright persecution of putting them you know, on, on some type of trial and their life threatened, but more of social pressure. Like you didn't get the job kind of thing. You're kind of outcast by your old friends kind of thing. And this is becoming normative for this community. And what Peter's wanting to do in his first letter is encourage them to stay the course, to understand what it means to be a Jesus follower. In, in chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, he says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We're going to be looking at three different aspects, three different kind of windows into our giftedness from this passage today. And we're going to be actually looking pretty microscopically at some words. But the first aspect we're looking at is the humility of our gifts. Then we'll talk about the confidence of our giftedness and, and the, really the goal of our giftedness. So humility and our gifts. We're going to have three words here in that first verse that really kind of like help us understand that how we should interact with humility with regard to our gifts. Verse 10, it says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received. We'll stop there. Received. The word received is jarring to us Americans. We love the concept of the self-made man or the Cinderella story without the fairy godmother. Because, you know, Cinderella, she got to sweat if she's going to get to where she needs to go. That fairy godmother, she gives the easy pass. And so, so fairy godmother, get out of here. We need you to start in a garage, Cinderella, before you get to that high rise. We need you to sweat. We love that story of the garage origin story where people sweat, strain, develop grit. They're self-made men. Joseph Heller, the author of Catch-22, maybe you read that in college. He mocks the idea of the self-made man, saying he was a self-made man who owed his lack of success to nobody. I love that. Heller understood that we're all indebted. We all are indebted. That none of us are self-made. But even with the myth of the self-made man kind of being exposed as exactly what it is, a myth, we still run by it. We set our, our hearts by it. We value it. And so we have Elon Musk who has publicly recommended anybody that wants to accomplish anything start practicing an 80 to 100 hour work week saying that nothing of consequence has happened with a 40-hour work week. You've got to be willing to sacrifice at your physical expense if you want to see greatness happen. 
And the once CEO of Yahoo, Marissa Mayer, confessed in, in, in an interview that she was regularly working 130 hours a week. That's upwards of an 18-hour work week. Maybe you've heard the Japanese word karoshi, which means to work oneself to physical death. Began to describe a phenomenon in Japan, but is now really a worldwide phenomenon. And in the midst of this, us valuing sacrifice of our bodies for the sake of work so that we might be esteemed as great in whatever culture we inhabit. In the midst of this, valuation of the self-made man in the Cinderella story, Sans Fairy Godmother, in the midst of this, Peter tells a different story. He tells a small cadre of Jesus followers who are being pressured and ostracized almost 2,000 years ago that they have received something. Hear that? Received something as free that is not the merit of their accomplishment, but it is a free gift that God has deposited within them. Free He connects the word received with the word gift, the gift you have received. And that word gift in the Greek is the same word that Paul uses, if you're familiar with the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans 12, where Paul's talking about spiritual gifts, gifts like prophecy, tongues, encouragement, mercy, uh, teaching, shepherding, contribution, all these gifts that are described in both of those areas is what Peter has mentioning in in mind here. The gift you have received. This means something significant. That in a context of overwork, God wants to freely give. And not just he wants to freely give to some that have noticeable, visible roles, but he wants to freely give to you. He wants to freely give to you. He wants to freely give to you. In fact, he has given all of us who call on the name Jesus and trust in him and follow him spiritual gifts that we are to grow into. Here's the reason why this connects with the idea of humility is because we didn't work for it by our own strength. Do we need to develop it? Yes. Do we need to grow in it? Yes. Were we given it by our own strength according to our own merit because of our resume? No. It's free. It's a gift something for us to grow into, but that means humility with our gifts. We don't put ourselves on the pedestal, and this isn't the place where the perfect perform. It's a place where we grow in our gifts. Second aspect of how we understand this passage to be describing a humility with our gifts is, is the, almost the exact next word. It says, you have received, he said, you received what to do what? To serve others. To serve others. The Greek word there is diakono, which just means house servant. This idea that, 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 that the, your role is to serve. It's, it's not something you do on a Monday night one time a month. Sometimes you call out sick because you're just tired and you think you might be sick, so you say you're sick. But no, but you're, you, it's an identity you embrace. I am a servant. Some of us have felt that time where we know God's calling us to step into this thing, but we are, know it's also going to be sacrifice. 
And in those moments, and I think we've all been in those moments, in those moments, we might need this simple refrain just to memorize, to etch in our heart and in our head, I am but a servant in God's house. At those times where you're being invited into growing in your gifts and it costs a little bit more time that you would rather dedicate to the virtue of Netflix and at those times where we might need to just remember, I am just a servant in God's house. Yes. I want to say, too, that, that this idea of serving doesn't always mean extending outside of what you're currently doing. It means taking on the role in, in the areas that you're currently inhabiting. So it doesn't always mean addition to your life. It means adopting the role in your current life. For some of us, we're, we're parents of young kids or something, or there's a life circumstance, and it feels like we're just going through a tunnel, right? We're like, where is the light? I can see confines on what I can do, and I can't see much light. And for some of us, we need to realize that the call isn't always to add on to what we're doing. In fact, adding on to what we're doing in some of those tunnels that all of us experience at various stages of our life would be to escape the primary roles God is calling us to. Just to embrace the role of a servant. I am but a servant in God's house. I am not the master. I am but a servant in God's house. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as what? Faithful stewards. I'm sure you're familiar with the idea of being a steward. It means to not own something, but to be entrusted with something. Years ago, I, I, I house sat, uh, house, and none of you will invite me to house sit after I tell the story. Um, it wasn't a major thing, but there was this really beautiful table in this really big house that I was house sitting, and I had this really hot cup of coffee, and I put it on this really beautiful table that looked like it had just been sanded and finished and was new, and I forgot to put a coaster between it and the table, so there's this really beautiful ring right there on this table. And I, and I was not the guy to re-sand it and finish it. So I, I, had, I knew I had to tell the owners of the house when they came back that that was me. And, and it, it wasn't them. It was me. Here's this picture of, of Peter's telling us by extension. He's saying, the gifts you've been given, the master will come back. And he will say, how'd you do? How'd it go? You're a steward, not an owner. God has deposited gifts within you that are spiritual gifts, marks of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that he wants to develop and grow in you. How'd you do? And I have the sense that when he, when he turns and asks that question, he won't be doing it in a finger-wagging, shame-based way. He'll be doing it in a holy, anticipatory excitement. Hey, what happened with that? knowing he knows, but eager to hear you divulge and tell. What happened with that? How did that shake out? Humility. We've received gifts to serve and to steward. The idea of steward, it means, it means growing up in them. It means trying them out. For some of us, when we hear stuff like this, we've, we feel disqualified by the very title of the teaching. Gifts, not me. Serve, I don't know where I should go. 
Sometimes there's a voice in our past. Sometimes there's a voice in our head. Sometimes we just don't see the pathway forward. And to those of us, and sometimes I myself included, that hear those voices, I would just simply say this. Try things inside and outside of the church without expectation from others or comparison to others. I'll say that again. Try things. You heard some stuff just even the host moment. Try things inside the church or outside the church without expectation from others. Not of that I'm going to serve with an ROI, but I'm going to serve because I'm called to serve. And without comparison to others, one of the greatest killers of servant-heartedness is looking on Instagram and seeing somebody's servant-heartedness better than us, right? Like, what does that even mean? No comparison, no expectation. I am but a servant in God's house. But there's also not just humility, there's confidence. Confidence. Confidence in our gifts. Verse 11, it says, If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. Did you hear that? If anyone speaks, that type of speech that Peter is mentioning is not just a sermon. The idea of a sermon as we currently understand it was, wasn't quite formed at that point. What, Paul, what Peter is describing there is, is a type of speech that's intentional, whether it's on a platform or over a coffee table. Okay, so just hear this. Is, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. For some of us, we're hearing that and we're like, well, I'm, I'm just going to be silent now because that sounds like too intense. <laughs> nope. Mm-mm. Done. But the heart Peter wants you to have when you hear this is of like anticipation and excitement. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. He wants your words to be his words. He wants his words to be your words. Wow. All of God filling you. Recently, uh, you know, we're imperfect at this in our home, but we sometimes, and as often as we can and remember, you know, and if you're a parent, you understand, we open a devotional at the breakfast table and kind of read the devotional. Uh, And recently I got the chance to do this and it was this devotional, it was this kid's devotional about creation and God is creator and created this, created this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful world filled with quarks and quasars and ants and elephants. And I had this moment reading it where I, I just realized that God wants to use me. And I just want you to feel the, weight, the beautiful weight of that. That God wants to use you. He wants your words to be his words and his words to be your words. When you intentionally communicate the truth of God in conversation, whether on a platform, through text, over coffee tables. But it's not just all of God, but it's like all of life. Peter uses two words here to describe the breadth, the, breadth, the width, the height of life. He says, speaking and serving. And he doesn't mean just like, okay, you know, like, you know, using your vocal, you know, stuff and using your hands. It's not just that. What he's using this kind of like to say all of it, everything, every aspect where you adopt the personality or the role of a servant, he wants to use you, whether it's serving or speaking or anything in between. 
could be in teaching the Bible in the anchor kids wing. It could be conversations with a neighbor where you ask the deeper question than, can I have your rake? It could mean, you know, the spirit-prompted text messages and phone calls. Who's ever gotten a spirit-prompted text message or phone call? Three of us. Okay, I hope more. Could be those church lobby hellos or prayers in the auditorium here after the teaching. We always invite you to have time of prayer. But I know sometimes the prayer happens there in the chairs as well. As we don't get up out of the chair, but we pray for somebody near us. It could be advocating for the less fortunate, sharing the gospel with a coworker. What Peter wants us to understand is wherever we serve, whether it's our words or our hands or anywhere in between, God wants to use you there. Wherever it is, God wants to use you there. God wants to use you there. God wants to use you there. He wants to use you there. It's not just to add to a script, add, add another scripture in. It's not just all of God and all of life, but it's all of us. Okay? Paul writing to the Ephesians, he says, Christ gave. The apostle, Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Let's quickly walk through that. Apostles. Those are the type of people in the room here where they make new trails and aren't entrepreneurial. They make new initiatives. They're dreaming about something in the distance. And sometimes they can't really help with what's immediately in front of them because their head's over there and they're making a trail that direction. Those are apostles. Some of you are apostles. Prophets, people that speak up for the less fortunate, who, are, who, who, who can name and see injustice and want God's kingdom to come where there is currently wrong happening. Sometimes prophets have pictures in their heads or when they pray there's images or words from scripture that they share with others. Evangelists, they can't stop talking to other people about the goodness of God and pastors who care for others, who, who sometimes are able to listen in a way where you feel so ministered to even though they don't say a word, pastors and teachers, people who take this top shelf theological term and bring it to the bottom shelf so everybody can understand it. And God has given us all of himself for all of life and all of us for us, for our building up. Gifts. In fact, I just want to give a little plug if I can. We, since we started this um, thing called Anchor, I uh, We've had this dream of, of, of uh, not just great stuff happening here, but great stuff happening where you live. And so we, like, maybe it's like there's kids that have parents that work late and they need tutoring. And you see this need there in your neighborhood. And you're like, oh, I could, but I, how would I? Or it, maybe it's single parents that are trying to put life together and it's incredibly difficult. And I, so we've had, developed this idea called neighborhood initiatives. So I just want to say, if you have a dream that as something that's not just here, but there, we want to empower that. We want to resource that. We want to give you like money and training so that you can step into the dream God has put on your heart. Serving doesn't just happen here. It needs to happen here, but it doesn't just happen here. It happens there. It happens where you live. So just kind of to say this, there is no reason, I mean, this is important for us to understand, there's no reason for us to be timid with our gift, and there's, but there's every reason for us to be humble. No reason for you to be timid with regards to your spiritual gifts, but there's every reason for you to be humble. And there's no reason for you to be arrogant, but there's every reason for you to be confident. Think about the power that would be unleashed 
if we embrace the humility of 1 Peter and the confidence in 1 Peter. Amen. <laughs> the goal of our giftedness. The end of this passage, um, verse 11, it says, so that. I love when it says, so that. Because he's not just saying the what, he's saying the why. So that, okay, you've been given these gifts, be humble, be confident, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and power forever and ever, amen. Peter is saying that as you step into this with holy confidence and holy humility, as you step into your gifts, like there's this sweet spot where God gets the glory. And as one writer has said in the past that we are most satisfied when God is most glorified. God has set us up in a way that when we live in light of his glory, we actually come alive. But then it adds to it in Ephesians. Paul adds to this same, and he has another so that. He's talking about the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, teachers that I just mentioned, and band, you can come up at this point. And, and, and Paul says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So that's, that's, a, that's a why, but then it develops. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and fullness of Christ. What, is, what are Peter and Paul saying there? So when, when we step in with confidence and humility in our gifts, when we step into that, when we develop what God has deposited, when that happens, we glorify God and we find the fullness therein and we also grow up into who we really are. Not into who someone else is, but to who we really are. And we become unified as a body. We grow up into what God is inviting us to. This is the goal of our gifts. That God might be glorified. That the artist, the creator, the original worker of, of, of beauty, of creation, might receive the acknowledgement that he is due and that you, his workmanship, might grow up into what he's invited you to. This is what we're about. That we would be generous with the gifts that God has deposited within us. Because he first was generous with us. Next song, we have opportunities for you to take communion and right there by the sound booth, if you'll look, there's gluten-free communion. So you know, if that's you, there it is. But here's communion. Here's what communion is. Christ's body given for you, Christ's blood shed for you. A picture of the generosity of God, that while we were yet sinners, Christ gave. God gave. So when we take the bread, when we take the cup, we're reminded of the generosity of God and we're prompted to live in alignment with God's generosity in our world. We have prayer stations there in front of the, 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 the black walls there. And, and that's, we don't want anybody to leave with a prayer need without getting prayed for. So that's for you. I want to pray for us as we step into the song and step into the communion and the prayer. Because I know there's people that have counted themselves out. And I want you to hear the voice of the Father that counts you in. So just close your eyes and open your hands.
Spirit of the living God hover over us, hover over the chaos, hover over the doubt, hover, hover over the timidity, hover over the pain and woundedness, the past issues that we haven't worked through, hover over the pain, hover over it, hover over all that and create. Spirit of God, would you make, would you speak would you take what's in our hands and would, would you fashion it for something that is effective and helpful for others and glorifying to you? Would you heal? Would you form us as a community? We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.